Uh, if you're following along in the book, you're going to get to this um, tomorrow. Um, but there's a story about a guy. His name's Arthur Blessed. Have you guys heard of him, Arthur Blessed? Um, so he is a he was a he's, he's still a pastor, and um, he was in. He's from Mississippi. He moved to the West Coast uh, in the 70s or 80s, and he opened. First, he was a pastor. Then he opened a coffee shop, and he put a big cross on the wall of the coffee shop. And uh, and so what he would do is, is after he'd had it there for a little while, he would take this cross and he would take it off the wall and he would walk down Sunset Boulevard, the Sunset Strip, and he would just have the cross and he would talk to people, you know, about his faith and that kind of thing. Um, it kind of began to catch on and, and, and he noticed that he could draw a crowd if he was walking holding a big monster cross. And uh, so he started going around the world. Now he's been, uh, he's walked 42,000 miles carrying this cross. He's been across seven continents. And, uh, and so he's been all over walking and carrying this cross. I'm familiar with him because he's from Greenville, Mississippi, which is not far from, from where I went to college. And, uh, and while I was in college, he came and visited, he came and visited, uh, he came to Ole Miss, he came to Oxford, and he talked to some people that were there, and it was a really interesting thing. He was a really interesting guy. It made me feel kind of funny about him. But feel funny about him, or, or feel funny about the method, or whatever, we're all entitled to our own opinion, that we're not entitled to judge, so balance that line carefully. But long before this guy knew that he would be famous, and long before he knew any of that kind of stuff, he was a weirdo carrying a cross down a busy tourist road, sharing the gospel with anybody who would listen. And, and that, to me, is pretty incredible. Here's one thing that he said that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, a quote that, that she pulls from the book, but he says, um, If I had known that I was going to be carrying this cross all around the world, I wouldn't have made it so big. It's kind of kind of funny. I long for his his boldness. I don't long to be as nutty as he came across to me, but I long to be bold in what God has called me to do. But I sympathize with him when he says, if I had known exactly what I was going to be doing, I would have made it a whole lot easier. And I think a lot of us have been there. If I'd known I was going to eat those words, I wouldn't have said them. If I'd known how hard this was going to be, I wouldn't have started. If I'd known how cranky you were going to be, I would have let you sleep. If I had known how frustrating he would be, I wouldn't have married him. You know, all that kind of stuff. If I had known how expensive kids are, I wouldn't have had them. And I know some people are like, no. And then some people are like, you say yes, but then you realize everybody else is saying no. So it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> but that's okay. We already know who you are anyway if you say that. So, But yeah, there's all kind of things throughout. I think this thing's frozen. I do know what I'm going to say next. I'm not, I'm not like reading a script here, but just for kicks, I'm going to pull it back up. Good thing we're recording, right? All these things get to live forever. Anyway, so, um, but always in the big picture of life, in God's big plan that he involves us in, there will be some very challenging moments. There will absolutely be some very challenging moments. And if we're bold enough to follow Jesus, sometimes those challenges will be so great that we'll say, if I had known how hard this was going to be, God, this thing that you called me to do, if I had known how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. Or I certainly would have started it a whole lot different. There's a guy in Genesis that has some huge ups and downs. I mean huge, huge ups and downs. Our ups and downs compared to his, to me, are, are just not even in the same playing field. It's like, you know, the what's the, what's the roller coaster at City Park? 
the ladybug. It's like the ladybug versus like Tower of Terror. I mean, that's the, that's the scale of difference between our ups and downs and his ups and downs. His are huge. But his life teaches most clearly this principle. It's that the path that God has set you on will have insurmountable challenges. If you choose to follow what he's called you to do, the path that God has put you on will have insurmountable challenges. And also insurmountable challenges that he will overcome. It will have challenges that you cannot overcome on your own, but they are things that he'll overcome. Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 50, but before we read that, I want you to hear me say this as it sort of ties into the rest of the series as we're talking about collectively about learning to hear God's voice, is that the fact that this task is huge, these things that God calls us to do that seem unattainable, the fact that the task is huge and unattainable doesn't mean, doesn't mean, this is often super challenging for me, but the fact that it's huge and unattainable does not mean that it's what God has called you to do. Did I say that right? Because it's huge and unattainable doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to do it. Right? Just because it seems like something that can't be done. And when you've checked things through the rubric of this thing that I feel like God's calling me to do, do I have some peace about it? Like, 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 not spiritually, you know, physically I'm, I'm like wetting my pants. I'm so scared of it. I don't know how it's going to happen. But, but spiritually I have some peace that this is what God's calling me to do. And then secondly, you've said, does this line up with God's word? I mean, is this, is this consistent with that? And then third, you say, the most godly people that are, that are really seeking to do what God's calling them to do, do those people agree that, that this is good and this is God? And when I run something through that, no matter how big it is, if those things are true, no matter how big it is, and no matter how much I can't see how it's going to work, if I run it through that, even when I can't understand how I'll get from one side to the other, it's still a God thing. And that's a challenging thing for me. And if you can place one wager on on, on what it will absolutely be like, what, what God will absolutely call you to do. If you want to place one wager on it and you want to be certain that you're going to win, you can place the wager on the fact that it will be challenging. And the life that God has called you to leave, if you decide to lead it boldly, it will absolutely be challenging. But just because it's challenging doesn't mean it's not God. Genesis chapter 50. Um, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to cover like 13 chapters today. So you guys get really, really comfortable. I'm going to preach all through the saints game. Um, but no, I'm actually just going to read the ending. And when I read the ending, you're going to be like, well, that sounds okay. And then I'm going to tell you the whole story. And, and, and some of you guys already know it, but, but I'm going to remind you of it. And then when I tell you the whole story, then the ending is going to seem unreal. So Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge, a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask give your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God your father. When their message, and when their message came to him, Joseph wept. And then verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And then Joseph said, I know you don't have all the context right now, and maybe some of it's coming back to you, but here's what Joseph says to his brothers. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, 
to accomplish what is now being done, saving the saving of many lives. So again, you, you don't have all the context there, but you do get to see how he ends it. He, his brothers are afraid something ter- he's going to do something terrible to them, and he says, no, 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 you meant a lot of harm to come to me. You tried to do something terrible to me, but I'm telling you that God meant all that for good. And he had a great thing that he planned to do because of it all. Now let me walk you through the highlights of David's story. Now let me show you the ups and downs. I'm sorry, not David, uh, Joseph. So Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was, he was absolutely his dad's favorite. He was a pretty spoiled kid. You know the type. And, and we also find out later that he was, really, he was really handsome and good looking. And that's the kind of person you really can't stand. You know, the kind of person whose dad's favorite and is really spoiled, but also is really attractive. I mean, that's just the worst, the kind of people that just seem to get everything. That's this guy. Girls like him. Guys want to be him, but nobody really likes him. I think that's this guy. So that, that's how his life starts. That's how we meet him. And then we see that he had a dream that he was going to be better than everybody else, which is the kind of dream I think people have who are spoiled and their dad's favorite. But he has a dream that he's going to be bigger and better than everybody else, and so he does what any spoiled child will do, and he, and he rushes to go tell everybody, guess what, I had a dream, and, and it turns out I'm going to rule over all you guys. And so that's, that's, so that's where we meet him, and then his brothers decide, well, you know, I think the, all the rest of us can probably do something about it. So they take him and they decide to kill him. They end up not killing him. They ended up selling him into slavery. So there you go. There's the roller coaster, right? That's bigger than the ladybug. That's a big high. You got a lot of good things going for you. And then you're dipping pretty far down because now you're a slave. And this is where he gets a dose of humility in his own. He begins to change in his person. He gets sold into slavery. He becomes the, the master of his slave house. He's such a good slave that he becomes the head slave. And so he actually becomes somebody really important. And things are finally looking up for him. I mean, he's still a slave, but if you're going to be a slave, at least you can be in charge of the other slaves. So then that happens. And then if you know the story, you know he gets falsely accused of rape. And then he gets thrown into prison. So again, you know, a little bit of an up, and then he dives back down. He goes from dad's favorite to slave to prison. And then he goes to prison, and he's such a good prisoner that he becomes the leader of the prison. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to jail, and you're such a good prisoner that they give you the keys? I mean, this is not a huge high, but it's pretty good. I think if I were a prisoner and they gave me the keys, I'd be like, we're going home. I mean, you know, but he's such a good prisoner that he becomes head of the prison. And then God gives him this power to, to interpret dreams. And so these people have a dream, and, uh, and he correctly interprets the dream, and he says, um, you're going to get out. You know, that's sort of what he learns through interpreting the dream. And he says, you're going to get out, and what I'd love for you to do is I'd love for you to remember me when you get out. But the guy gets out, and he forgets about him. And then Joseph spends another couple years in prison. And so he, th- he thinks maybe he's got a chance to get out, finally a little bit of hope, and then it crashes back down when he gets forgotten. And then after that, he's brought before the king. The king has a dream. He interprets this dream too. And, and now he stands before the king and he's interpreted a dream. And now he's made second in command in all of Egypt. Now he's back up on top. And now he's on top. And then after a couple years, his brothers that sold him into slavery come. And imagine this full circle. Now his brothers come and now they really need him. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity if someone sold you into slavery and then they came to you and said, I'm starving, will you help me? 
That'd be a good chance to, to get all the payback you wanted. But he doesn't do it. He forgives them. He helps them. He saves his family, and he gets reunited with his father. I mean, can you imagine? I would imagine that this guy, when he sold into slavery, and by the way, 13 years he was either a slave or he was in prison. And I would imagine on year 12, he's pretty certain that he's not going to see his family again. But the story ends and he gets reunited with them. And after reading all that, I'm going to start with, with the point, the only point that I think is appropriate here. And it's the reality that we should not ask for the whole story because we probably can't handle it. We should probably not ask for the whole story because we can't handle it. This is nothing like some of your stories, but I moved here uh, nine and a half years ago, and I had this plan that I was going to be a youth pastor and go to seminary, and I was going to do those two things, and I was going to be three and out, and I was going to knock this degree out, and I was going to be gone after those few years. And then um, six different jobs later, that's right, six jobs, I'm flaky, um, I'm really not that flaky. It was just like a period of a year and a half in there that was kind of tumultuous. And some of them were part-time. You know, Don't judge me. That's what I'm getting at. Six jobs later, five churches. I've been a part of five churches in nine and a half years. Not one like I'd planned five. So I've been a part of five churches. And by the way, I've lived in five different houses, all in the 70123 zip code. So I have, if you want to know anything about Harahan, River Ridge, Elmwood, I've, I've probably lived there. And so five different houses, and, and, and if I had known before I got here about that, that year and a half in the middle, if I had known what all that was going to be like, I may not have said yes to coming here. I may have said, God, I think that that's, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do this other thing, and it's probably going to be bad a little bit because it's not what you want me to do. But in the end, I'll probably still be alive, and then I'll ask for forgiveness, and then I won't have had to go through all that. Joseph, I would imagine, would have said, I'll take this, if he had known the whole story. Instead, why don't I just inherit the family farm? I am the favorite after all. I'll probably be the one to get it. And he'll get the family farm, and he'll, and he'll do all those kind of things. And God says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go be the ruler of Egypt. But you're going to have 13 years where you're going to be a slave and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and knowing the condition of slaves and knowing the worst condition of prisoners, uh, I think he would have said, no, I'm not going to go for that. I'd rather not spend years ages 17 to 30 in prison and in slavery. Those are kind of prime years. And in a time when the average lifespan is not very long, despite the fact that we see some people living 100 years, most people didn't live very long. And the idea to spend the ages 17 to 30 in prison? That's probably not the part of the story you want to know. I always want to know the next step. I don't know if you're like that. I don't know if everybody is as much like that as me. I know we wouldn't talk about it a lot if it weren't really the case, but I always want to know the next step so I can be ready for it, so that I can plan for it, and often to my own detriment, so that I can focus less on what's happening right now, and I can focus way more on that than I need to. And I misstep in the right now all the time because I'm, I'm so busy thinking about what's going to happen next. And so what I think is instead of asking God to reveal his will, his will for the next 20 years of your life and asking him to tell you exactly how the rest of it's going to play out, instead of asking for all that, 
I think it'd be wiser to say, God, can you give me the courage to fully engage in where you've placed me right now? God, instead of asking for the next 20 years, say, God, can you give me the courage to fully engage in what is here right now? I think Joseph is his perfect picture of that. He was, he was in prison, but he was such a faithful prisoner. I mean, if I go to prison, I think the last thing I want to be is a model prisoner. You know, but he goes to prison. He's such a great prisoner. He becomes the leader. He becomes a slave. He says, I'm going to be the best slave that I can be. And by doing the thing that he's doing right now as best that he can, right, God blesses him tremendously. And I think that the valley and the hard times are absolutely necessary. If you look at some things, think about this. Moses lived in a palace in Egypt, or at least in that area, and lived in favor of the Pharaoh. And he didn't see the burning bush until he became a fugitive and lived in the desert. Like the time away from the good stuff was the part where God chose to reveal himself. Joseph was arrogant. He was foolish as as his father's favorite. He was all those kind of things. And he was destined to, to have lots of problems. And God made him a great leader after he shipped him off to Egypt where he was a slave and a prisoner. You get the idea? God is doing and does great things in our lives in the middle of those challenges. Those challenges aren't unfortunate realities for following God. It's the place where he does the most work. I read that steel is forged at 2,000 degrees. 2,000 degrees they forge steel. And, and, and steel come, goes from being this raw, unusable, easily broken thing to you put it through the fire and now it's stronger and now it's pure and now it's almost unbreakable. My ring is, is forged stainless steel. I didn't get it because I got it really just because that sounded cool to me, you know, and it was uh, way cheaper than the nicer rings. But the reality is, after I got it, they told me, and by the way, if you ever get in a wreck or something and it gets dented, they're going to have to cut it off, you know, and so you'll probably lose your finger. So that was pretty exciting. But the idea is, you know, I mean, it becomes so incredibly powerful because it's been forced. It gets forced at 2,000 degrees, and now all of a sudden, it's incredible, incredible. And when we go through, the, the fire is a necessary part where God is making us into who he wants us to be. I'll just say it again. I don't think, I know I can't, I'll take the liberty of speaking for you, I don't think we can handle the whole story. I don't think we can handle the whole story. God will take us places if we follow him that we would never choose for ourselves. And he will take us down paths that we would never have decided would be good for us. And so I would say stop asking to know exactly where he's taking you and instead ask for the strength to be faithful for today. In the late 1800s, so uh, that's when everybody was, if if you were rich and wealthy, you rode in a coach. And uh, people would ride in these coaches and they got tired of, when the horses would go through town, you know, they would get spooked real easy and so the coach would, would wobble everywhere. And, and so these coachmen were trying to find a way to keep the, the horses from, from spooking so easy, so they put these little cups on their eyes, uh, you know, the blinders. And, uh, and the idea, for one, you know what, it's always been funny, I don't know the answer to this, but is what, do they never see something directly ahead of them that's scary? You know? 
all the scary stuff to the side. Anyway, it's just tell you something that I wonder. But they put these blinders on the horses, and, and it keeps them from, from going side to side, from seeing all kind of things around them that, that could spook them, and so they just end up going straight ahead, and it makes for a nice, smooth coach ride. And I think that sometimes I need these when I go in Home Depot, you know. Because I go in there, and I'm like, Adam, go to plumbing. And then they, they put the end cap with all the, the clearance stuff. And then I get a lot more than I need. Drills are on sale, you know, that kind of thing. But um, as you walk faithfully, I can say this certainly from experience, but as you try to walk faithfully, you will be tempted to stray side to side. And particular, particularly where you want to go is towards self-satisfaction. And towards the thing that are less God and more just me. And the things that really is just, just what I want. That's the place to avoid. Joseph had this chance in this story, as we read about his life over these 13 chapters. Joseph has the chance to be with Potiphar's wives. You know, Potiphar's married, and, and, and his wife, you know, sees young, handsome Joseph, and, and she invites him to come to bed with her. And here's the reality. Sometimes you say, well, he was a good guy, and he knows that if he, you know, if you sleep with the boss's wife, right, it's probably not going to be very good for you. But the reality is not doing it is as bad as doing it because she has just as much power to throw you in jail or have you killed as does her husband. So, so not doing it and doing it, the consequences are potentially the same. Why not, why not do it? I mean, you're a slave, you know, you're a slave. This may be as good as it's ever going to get for you. You're at the bottom of society, and this is your one chance for a small time to, to not be quite so unimportant. You know, why not do it? But, but what does Joseph say? He gives her the, it's not you, it's me. No, he, he says, it's not you, it's God. And, and specifically, he says, how could I sin against God? says, no, I can't do it because how could I sin against God? Is there a way? You just ask yourself this question. Is there a way that you're choosing self-satisfaction over the directives of God in your life? Is there a way that you're choosing self-satisfaction over what God would have you do? I could stop here and write a book. Is there a way that you're choosing self-satisfaction over what God would have you do? As you think about it, the little ones are pretty easy. How about on a big scale? On a big scale, this is what I know definitively. I know that God has called some of you to be a missionary and to leave home to do the work of the gospel. I know that God called a lot of people in the first century, and you know what? They decided not to do it. So you know what he did? He sent persecution so that they would lose their homes and everything that was near and dear to them, and they would have to run away to other places. And then when they got there, they started sharing the gospel, and they just became missionaries on accident. And sometimes God does that when none of us say yes. But more of us than are saying yes, God is calling to say yes. And for those of us that he's not calling to be missionaries and to leave home, he is most certainly calling us to walk across the street. And across the aisle. And all the different places where people are that need to hear the gospel. I heard a missionary say one time that God would have long since reached every nation with a missionary. We, we would have been there a long time ago. Everybody would have heard the gospel a long time ago were it not for mom's home cooking. And just the reality that for, for the sake of comfort, 
And for the sake of whatever feels good, you know, whatever, just, just very simply being comfortable in life, we forego this big mission that God has put us on. And it's a challenge. A.W. Tozer, this is a quote that's in your book, and this is so good. Um, he says, God will not aid men in their selfish striving after personal gain. You get that? God will not aid men in their selfish striving after personal gain. That's good. You know what I do all the time? I say, God, I really, really want this. Can you please just let me have this one? And, and the truth of God is he will not aid us in our quest for personal gain, no matter how much we really, really want it. God blesses us when we seek him. He withholds blessing when we seek ourselves. Um. Here's a reality that you can rest in. Whether you're in the storm, whether you just came out of it, whether you see it up ahead, or whether life is good, and you've, but, but you're old enough and you've seen enough to know that if life is good now, probably something bad is on the horizon, because that's just how life is. But here's a reality that you can rest in. And really the, the last point that, that I think you see in the life of Joseph. But it's, it's the reality that God's plan is good. So even as you walk through, and I know that's like overly simplistic, but, but the reality is God's plan is really, really good. And so as I talk to you about the, how hard it is and how challenging it is, and, 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 and I don't want to downplay that at all. It absolutely is. But as I talk to you about how challenging it is, I want you to recognize that God's plan is good. And secondly, my plan will never be as good. My plan for me will never be as good. Joseph had a, had a great idea for all the changes he would make when he was in charge. I'm certain of it. I'm sure that his dad did some things running the family business that he said, you know, I'm going to do this way better when I'm in charge. And God said, well, well wait, i got a plan that's going to be even better for you than running the family business and, and, and lording that over your brothers and being really important right here at home. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a slavery and then a prisoner. And then I want you to run a country and I want you to save your family and I want you to preserve a promise that I made to your great-grandfather and I want you to, to preserve the whole nation of Israel by which Jesus will come and save the world. I have a plan for you to be a part of some of the greatest movements in all of history. Like, like his plan is for Joseph is so much bigger than young Joseph's plan for himself. And his plan for us is so much bigger than our plan for ourselves. And we may not get to run a country, which is probably good if you're me. But his plan is so much better than ours. As you get used to talking to yourself today, I want to ask you to ask yourself another question. Ask yourself this. Do I desire to hear his purpose and submit to his plans? Do I desire to hear his purpose and submit to his plans? Or do I mainly pursue my own plans, hoping that he blesses them? Do I really desire to hear his purpose and submit to his plans? Or is what I'm really doing most of the time pursuing what I want to do and hoping that he blesses it? Here's what I do. I pitch my idea a lot of times. I pitch my idea and I hope God goes for it. That's what I do. When I'm, when I'm really going to be faithful and not just do what I want to do. Molly does this all the time. She says, I say, it's time to get in bed. What if we watch a movie? And, and hoping that I go for it. And, and I'm, you know, I mean, and that's what I do with God. But God, what if, what if I don't do that? What if I do this? What do you think about that? Okay, you don't like that one? 
I'm going to try this one. What if I do this? And I'm constantly saying, God, I hope that you will get on board with one of these plans of mine. Rather than saying, God, I know the thing that you want me to do. I just don't want to do it. For, for a lot of us, when we walk that road, what usually happens is, when we walk the road of saying, I'm just going to do what I want to do, we plow ahead with our own purpose, hoping God will approve. He doesn't. Some really hard things happen. And then we say, where is God in the middle of all this? Where is God in the middle of this? And we question him, even though we didn't do at all what he called us to do. And some of us sit here and we, and we just go, we're, you know, like, think, 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 think. What is God's plan for me? And, and, and we're like, even if I really want to do it, it's like I, I can never be totally sure what is his plan and, and what is my plan. And even if I really want to say, God, that's, I want to do what you want me to do. And we sit here and we do that. But here's what I'll tell you about that. Here's some truth about it. And this one is, 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 is such, a good, such a good little test you can put to yourself when you say, I hear everything you have to say, and now I want to do what God wants me to do. But how do I know what it is? Here, here's the reality. If what you sense from God never surprises you, if what you sense God calling you to do never surprises you, and you can always accomplish it by yourself and by your own means, if that's the case, you've probably made it up. If everything God's ever called you to do, you could absolutely do, you probably made it up. If it falls totally within your strength and your skill set and you can do it perfectly, you probably made it up. And if it sounds more like God and less like yourself, or when it's so just simple and profound that you would have never thought of it, that's probably a God thing. When it's beyond what you would say to yourself, that's a good idea that it may be God. Consider this. Noah built an ark. He'd never seen rain. Never seen rain. So, so there's no way this came from, from him. He built an ark. He'd never seen rain. By the way, the flood was 120 years away. 120 years away. Esther had to go speak to the king. She knew that if I go speak to the king, I could be killed. Good chance that I will. Not something that someone goes, you know what's a good idea? <laughs> Mary. Somebody came to Mary and said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be the mother of God. I bet you Mary said, I don't know if I'm up for it. God calls us. God's plans are always so much bigger than ours. And they always cause us to sit back and say, God, I don't think I can do this. His plan is always bigger and always better than ours. It's always on time. And it is frequently more demanding than we would prefer. Absolutely more demanding than we prefer. So I'd say stop asking for the whole story. You probably don't want to hear it anyway. Stop asking for the whole story. Instead, ask for faithfulness to walk through this part of the story. And remember the promise of God. The promise of God is that His plan is good. His plan is good and it's way, way, way better than anything you've planned for yourself. Let me pray.